The Mike Tamano Happening. Welcome to 2022, the year that the 1973 film Soylent Green was set in. Yeah, at the time, singing in the cinema around age six or seven, it was chilling. Growing up, it seemed preposterous, and in 2022, well, it seems plausible. As we, as a global collective, have witnessed George Orwell's 1984 transform from fiction to fact... Orwell the author becoming Orwell the prophet. Feeding a dystopian society with human flesh doesn't seem that far out of reach. Every once in a while, you know, I do a Charlton Heston sci-fi trifecta from the 60s and 70s. Planet of the Apes, Soylent Green, and The Omega Man. Seems like it might happen again soon. So as we progress into the third year of pandemic chaos, I've admittedly begun to seek refuge and escape more and more in reading books and watching films and then writing stories, writing songs, uh, playing my drums and focusing on my radio show, my podcast, my various other projects and my teaching, just kind of getting away from it all. You know, the whole promise of social media has decayed into this wasteland, hatred hub of arguments and just rottenness. Political debates being conducted in a futile manner, self-important celebrities spouting off their bullshit, and a lot of desperate souls attempting to shock you into giving them attention. And it's hard for me to spend time, a lot of time anyway, on Facebook or Twitter these days. They seem to be just another avenue of reinforcing my increasing disdain <laughs> of the human race. No, well, Happy New Year, Mike. But on the book front, I've begun reading, well, I'm almost actually done with it. I'm in the last uh, few chapters. Uh, Patty Chayefsky's novel, Altered States, which that was the writer's only novel. Chayefsky's writing for the stage and the screen always impressed me. Um, trying to uh, the, the network, the hospital with George C. Scott. Those two scripts and those two movies just bristle with electric dialogue, and they're really deep studies of human nature and societal behavior. And I return to those films often. Altered States is a novel reads briskly. It's a lot of scientific and medical jargon mixed with expository dialogue. And if you've seen. Ken Russell's whacked out 1980 film version. You know the story. If not, check it out. It's it's worth seeing. And it's also, if you can find a copy, it's uh, worth reading the book. Wild, heady, weird stuff. I'm almost finished with my nightstand book, Richard Brodigan's Trout Fishing in America. Now, that book took on a sort of must-find, must-read status when I was rabbit-holing one day for great books of the hippie era. And it's definitely unique and beautiful and surreal and has nothing to do with trout fishing in America. Well, it does, but not really. So if you like Kerouac and uh, William S. Burroughs and Hunter S. Thompson and psychedelic tomes of the 60s and 70s, you know, Easy Rider, that kind of stuff, uh, it's worth your time because I'm loving it. Over the weekend, I took my wife my daughter and her boyfriend to see the new Spider-Man No Way Home movie. I, of course, as I do every Marvel superhero movie, did not like it. 
Uh, as usual, I fell asleep about a third in and woke up during the last hour of it. Now, it's odd. I'll go to see any Batman movie that comes out, and I usually enjoy them immensely. Marvel stuff, it's just too goofy for me. It not only doesn't impress me, but I feel anger when I'm watching them. And I know, it's, it's Mike, relax. It's bizarre, but there's just too much reliance on special effects, outlandish storylines, and really childish, shitty dialogue. My family enjoyed it, and that's all that matters. So just label me Team DC Comics Universe, if you will. At home, I've binged a few more episodes of Longmire, which has become a new wrap-up, the evening series for my wife and me, and I'm loving it. I finally got around to watching the remake or reimagining of Suspiria. Now, Italian director Dario Argento's original 1977 version was this incredible nightmare journey into a dance school run by witches. Great stuff wonderful performance by Jessica Harper. It was this uh, just noisy, wild, hideous film. Wonderful. Now, the 2018 remake starring Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton, two great actresses, with a soundtrack from Radiohead's Tom York, is a beautifully shot, well-acted, well-intentioned, complete failure in my eyes. Uh, It tried to be too much about too many things, and it ended up being ended up being laughably ludicrous big disappointment there i also uh visited the 60s in all their cinematic glory with in like flint which is a james coburn like james bond parody from the era it's a stupid story stupidly told but it definitely makes up for that with the sets colors hairdos and sounds of the 60s so i enjoyed that also watched john borman's second film I thought it was his first film, but actually he did a movie about the Dave Clark Five, Catch Us If You Can, um, before this. But this is the late 60s. uh, Borman's second film, Point Blank, with Lee Marvin and Angie Dickinson. You know, it's a typical tale of revenge. Criminals out to get criminals. And uh, I'm a big fan of Borman. And his films, Deliverance and Excalibur, are two of my all-time favorite films. Even his train wrecks like Exorcist II, The Heretic, and Zardoz, which uh, was fe- featured Sean Connery running around in red leather underwear with a laser gun. They're interesting failures. You know, there, there's some great ambition in both of those films. And Point Blank was well done. Great to see Carol O'Connor in an early uh, film role. Last night, I found a film on Amazon Prime called P.S., and it's it's just a simply told love story with some interesting moments. It caught my attention because Laura Linney's in it, and she's just amazing in my eyes. I can watch her uh, act in anything. And she and Topher Grace do a, a good job in it. It's worthwhile if you come across it. It's on Amazon Prime. I found it looking for sci-fi movies, but I wouldn't say it's sci-fi. It's... Um, it's speculative in nature, but eh, that all gets resolved. So I don't know. You check it out. It's, I mean, if you're looking for some fluff to pass an hour and a half, it's good. So on to today's program. Now, early in my radio career, I was part of a legendary radio station in the Southlands of Chicago called The Cat 105.5. And Will in Kankakee counties, people still have fond memories, and they talk about it in this great... Um, wide-eyed reverence that today I still have people talk to me about the cat. And this is, you know, back in 1995 to 1997 when it was 
sold and uh, became a little bit more corporate. And there was there were attempts to revitalize the cat brand over the years, even into the 2000s. But uh, yeah, the magic was missing. The station was a freeform rock and roller with a shitty signal. And it was run by a motley crew of diehard rock and rollers that created magic. It was radio without a net, without rules, and its sole reason being rock and roll. With rock and roll's companions, sex and drugs always riding shotgun. I visited with three of my cohorts from that era to reminisce and give some behind-the-scenes, never-before-told glimpses into a radio station that started many on their broadcasting journeys and is spoken about these days with the reverence of legend. Well, Dave Bella, you know, we talked about a lot of our cat days together when I interviewed you uh, earlier on my program. And by the way, uh, that was one of the most popular interviews I did of the year and the people were just talking about how funny it was because when you and I are are together we just reminisce and laugh and laugh and laugh and (laughs) one of the great stories you're a promotions guy at the cat 105.5 the legendary radio station that we all worked for Um, and I get Paul Rogers because you were on vacation I get Paul Rogers your idol the singer from free and bad company and the firm to leave you a, a voicemail and you come back from vacation and you know you got the usual Dave we need to change the copy on this Dave these spots didn't run hey could you call this guy back he wants to buy commercials and then you open your answering machine to this Dave Bella Paul Rogers love your guitar playing man rock steady baby <laughs> <laughs> that and I still to... have the cassette too. I well, ripped it out of that puppy, so I still have that to this day. You got to keep that stuff. Those are the those. To. That's golden stuff. So then, you know, because Paul Rogers was, he loved our radio station. As so many bands did. I mean, they would circumvent their roots to Chicago or Rockford, wherever they were playing, to come to this little cinder block building in the middle of a cornfield because they knew this was a legendary rock station. So he's playing in a town called Peru, which is, you know, far, far west, uh, what, northwest, southwest? It's off of I-80. New west. Yeah, due yeah, <laughs> west, yeah, towards Iowa. And yeah. Dave, you went to see him in Peru, and uh, he you reminisced about his appearance on the Cat Morning Show with me. Yes, I did. Well, it, yeah, so, so what it was is, uh, so me and my wife were on our way to the show, and it started raining, and it was an outdoor fest. And so I told my wife, I said, hey, you know, let's see if we can find Paul. And she's like, you're crazy. I said, I said tell you, it's Peru. It only has all of, what, two, three hotels, <laughs> right. you know? So, so let's see what he can do. I mean, I mean, what, he's got to be staying at the Peru Inn, right? The Peru exactly. Holiday Inn. He's got to you know, be there. Probably the motel, as opposed to the hotel, right? Movies, you know, you know. So, so, so then me and her driving over by the hotels, and um, I see this guy, this woman, carrying a red lobster bag because the red lobster is near there, and walking back toward the hotel, and uh, I'm like, "That's Paul," and she says, "You're out of your mind." I said, "I'm telling you." It is. So I went over, pulled over the side of the road, jumped out of the car and said, Paul, 
you don't know me. And this, but I'm Dave at the Cat Radio Station. You left a voicemail on my answer machine when you had you got interviewed by Mike Tamano. He's like, oh yeah, Dave, how you doing, man? He says, oh, doing great. He says, I'm really sorry about the show canceling with the rain. He says, oh, that's that's okay. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not like I'm ecstatic to meet this guy. I mean, I can live with not seeing the show. So, so then we just start talking, and again, it's kind of drizzly raining, and. Uh, and, and then I started talking about this CD I got, Bad Company's first show. I have it on bootleg CD. And, uh, and then he, there's a song in there called Palace of the King, and I didn't know it was a cover. And he starts singing the song to me out in the middle of Peru. I'm like, oh, I could die now. I'm so ecstatic, you know. Right. So, so we're talking a little bit more. I say, hey, Paul, can we get a picture together? He's like, hey, Dave, man, it's raining, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like – I'm like, okay, all right, well, thank you, thank you. Bye, Paul. You know, so, so that him and his fiance, you know, book, booking back to the hotel, looking back behind him, making sure I'm not following him and stuff, you know. No, Still have man. a restraining order active. Against <laughs> <laughs> Paul Rogers. Okay, so when Dave Bella came, now you got to understand, Dave is a rock and roll musician performer fan and he didn't like to do anything small so now here we are this little podunk 5000 watt radio station and when dave did promotions for the station they were huge now suffice to say a remote broadcast is usually a disc jockey out on the premises of a company come on by they're having a sale on cupcakes until noon and i'll be out here handing out t-shirts so it's pretty much you know basic patter that you put on the radio and try to drive people into the business or raise awareness about the company so dave gets this nissan dealer in joliet illinois to uh do this all day event and it's a circus so my father who was visiting at the time with my nephew my nephew had to be what five or six at the time he's 32 now yeah but my dad pulls up and says wow this is huge because dave bella had a cage full of tigers because Mm -hmm. of course we were the cat very good tie-in good tie-in thank you i try a cage full of tigers in the front of the nissan dealership and smoke machines all over, which had covered the inventory. So people were like pulling over. Do we need to call the fire department? No, no, no. That's just Dave Bella's fog machines. Come on in. Oh, I guarantee. Bella. We understand. I guarantee behind the fog there are Nissans for you to enjoy. So in the back of the lot is a helicopter on a pad and this guy's given helicopter rides which is you know anybody could have walked into the propeller it was just it was foolhardy and <laughs> reckless but the nissan owner said yeah go ahead whatever you got to bring people in and we got people in there were tons of people coming to visit because not only were they maybe looking for a nissan but they were coming off to see what is the fog why is there a fog uh, mass hovering over this Nissan dealership? Why are we blasting loud music out of mega speakers? And there are tigers pacing in a cage in the front of the building. I have to go see what this is all about. Oh, it's the cat. Of course, they do everything insane. So we had people taking pictures with me and the tigers up in front and also a 20 foot long albino python where where, i don't even want to know where you meet these people 
And <laughs> and Dave comes up from the back by the helicopter ride guy and says, hey, there's a problem with your dad. He's going to hit the guy from the helicopter. And I, okay, let me go. So I take a break. I go back and I see my old man. Now, my, you know, we, you knew my father, uh, yes. one, one of the sweetest people in the world, but he didn't pull Great punches, guy. never pulled yeah. punches verbally nor physically. No. And he asked the helicopter guy who was kind of cocky. He said, Hey, my little grandson wants to take a picture in the helicopter. I want to take a picture of him. And the guy said, no, I can't do that. He's too small. But I said, well, we're not going for a ride. We're just going to have him sit there and I'm going to take a picture of him. And the guy made the terrible mistake of saying to my father, what don't you understand about? No. And that was <laughs> That was not the right Wrong thing, thing to, to say. You could have said, hey, the insurance won't cover it. Uh, yeah. I'm not comfortable with it. And you know, my dad would have respected that. Yeah, we respected him. But when you get cocky, uh, then my father retorted with, uh, what don't you understand about me knocking your teeth down your throat? And so the owner <laughs> of the Nissan dealership said, could we get that old Italian guy off the lot? Yes, we can. So I told my dad to go back to my house and wait for me because I didn't want to get in any more trouble. So yes. we continue on with the... Uh, thing and people are coming in and they're seeing pythons and tigers and helicopter rides. Oh my! Oh my. And that was just one of the many. Dave. Now Dave has Dave has a uh, another idea in mind for the the great paintball park opened by our friend Forrest Brown, who I miss. I was uh, honored to deliver the eulogy at this wonderful insane man's uh memorial but forest opened up a giant paintball park that had sets like movie sets where you could be in an old western town or a futuristic town and shoot each other with paintballs and it was huge huge 150 acres so dave gets the idea we need to have kiss day at the paintball park (laughs) (laughs) brought to you by the cat 105.5. 105.5. And FM. so somehow you get through to Gene Simmons. I want you to tell this story. This is one of my favorite Dave Bella stories. Oh okay. So what slightly backtrack, we were currently doing an event with William Shatner uh, with a Star Trek themed paintball scenario game. Yes. Where it's basically what it is, is this you, you have different teams and you have a goal and, you know, uh, and you try, you know, in that case, there's like, you know, Bill Shatter was, you know, was a, um, was it the Enterprise, was a Federation. Now, let me ask you this, because we had yeah. to, we had to give that one to Mancow because he was friends with William Shatner. And so Shatner right. had, and, and, and believe me, at the time I probably got pissed off, but, you know, I understand how that works. Yeah. And Shatner was friends with Mancow, who, boy, did we drive that poor guy crazy. But <laughs> Shatner... How much? Let me ask you. What, what yeah. did he ask to be there? How much did he make? I honestly don't know. I mean, because that was being handled by by Justin, who is for his son. I don't know if he did it for free because we we're doing the event for the the charity that Shanner had for uh, Hands on Horses, and what oh, okay. that entailed was trying to get people who are you know, quadriplegics or paraplegics and a special saddle in order to ride a horse. Okay, so he may have done that, and just for you know, for accommodations and uh, and you know, a ride to and from. I got you. Okay, so, sure. 
So, so that was so, so, so when we get getting toward the end of this event, uh, I'm like, well, we got to think of the next one. We got to think of, you know, big ones. What is the rock and roll equivalent of a Trekkie? I'm like, Kiss Fanatics. There you go. Yeah. You know, growing up like we all did, we all had the Kiss comic book where, you know, that, you know, they had like, yeah, the theme of that was like the four members met. They got these talismans and they became superheroes. Sure. Right. Okay. So I'm like, so like, well, I got this idea, wrote the whole idea down. I was like, how do I get this to like, you know, Gene Simmons or somebody? Cause you know, he's the one who makes all the decisions. So I went on his website and then he had like a, um, a person who was his webmaster who had a cell number, who had a fax number on there. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So I put this whole idea down, faxed it over to a, you know, to this webmaster. Well, flash forward like a day next day I'm, I'm there working and our secretary gets this phone call and says and he says hello the you know challenge park hi this is gene simmons for dave bella may I speak with him please it's like yeah yeah gene simmons says yes this is gene simmons you have 10 seconds to get him on a phone or i'm hanging up 10 Nine, eight. So, so the secretary, you know, hold on, hold on. So she's screaming at me, Dave. Gene Simmons on the phone. Gene Simmons on the phone. You really gotta get on the phone. You really him. You really gotta get on the phone right now, right now. So I'm just like, you know, I'm telling you to wait a second. I'm in the middle of a call. So I, you know, go on there and, I, uh, you know, hi, this is Dave. Hi, Dave. Gene Simmons. I got your idea from my uh, webmaster about the scenario paintball game. I think it's a great idea. Um, I, I would really like to do this. Uh, but a couple of questions. First question, how much money I'm going to make, how much money you're going to make, and how much money the park is going to make. I'm like, says, well, honestly, Jesus, I was thinking we just got done with this event with Shatner doing it for a charity. I thought a good tie-in would be for Eric Carr, who is, you know, who is Kiss's former drummer, died of cancer. I thought it'd be a good thing to do it as a, a tribute to him and uh, d- put the money toward the charity. He's like, no. No charity. <laughs> no. Uh, so how much money I'm going to make? How much money you're going to make? How much money the park is going to make? It's just, and I was like, well, I really didn't give it a thought yet. This is just basically an idea I had in my head. I threw it down and sent it over. So, oh, you didn't get the, you didn't figure out how much money I'm going to make? I, maybe I should just hang up right now. I'm like, well, no, but I just haven't got my figures together yet. And he's like, do that. Click. <laughs> what a businessman. That's that. Boom. Do that. Yeah. Click. You do that. No, Click. no, no. That was it. How much Stop am I going point. to make? How much is Gene Simmons going to make? Oh, God. He's wonderful. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Too much fun. Was, Too much fun. Funny. So yeah. uh, what what are some of your standout memories that we haven't covered from the Cat 105.5, the legendary rock station we were oh, all a part of? Uh, well, really, a lot of the, some things I can talk about is some of the people and some of the things that occur. Like, for example, one time we were on the air, and uh, I think with I think you're on the air, and these ladies came in, biker ladies, and um, and then one of them just got done having her uh, her breast pierced, <laughs> and uh, our afternoon jock. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know how much, how many names. Oh, so this poor guy, because the other girl says she had a tattoo on her thigh. Yes. And so, because I, I, I started it saying I did, that I was afraid 
of getting a tattoo because I was afraid of the pain. And these girls called and, and one said, I just got my nipples pierced. And the other one said, and I just got it. I just got um, a tattoo right in my inner thigh. And I said, oh, I'd have to see that. And I was kidding. But they yeah. knew where the radio station was. And here they showed up and they disrobed in the uh, in the studio. The studio. Yeah. Which our afternoon jock was very titillated, to say the least. Yeah. He, the afternoon guy came in and his head fell off. And uh, later on, I had a party at my house. And he said, um, <laughs> he said, one thing I could say about that girl in the uh, studio she was well quaffed and my wife at the time my first wife said what is that supposed to mean <laughs> i was like yeah nice quaff nice quaff so nice quaff became a uh, a, a little piece of vernacular around the cat 1055 oh. the amount of sex that was had in the supply closet at that radio station was insane oh yeah Oh yeah, it's just, the whole thing was just nuts. You know, I mean, it was. You know, like, you know, now speaking of sexy stuff, how about the time when uh, did the remote out there at uh, Boondocks, and again had another helicopter ride out there? Yes, had to have the helicopter and, rides, and and you were manning the boards. You're you're at the station because we we're out there live, and um, and so we had these helicopter rides going off, and then the the boats, big huge yachts going up and down and down the river, and these beautiful ladies in bikinis and everything else. And I made the the correlation. This is like Vietnam. <laughs> oh yes, yes, it looks like Vietnam, and that uh, boy, did we get some flack for that? <laughs> um, you were just a- describing the scenery. It was, yeah, because it's crazy. Apocalypse Now had just happened, uh, you know, and so we were. Yeah, I understood your. I understood your reference. A lot of people didn't, and uh, there was that was one of hundreds of apologies we had to do on the air. <laughs> Unbelievable! Oh, yeah. It was oh, a wild yeah. ride, my friend, and uh, the likes of which will never occur again in the landscape of American radio. Oh, absolutely not! Absolutely yeah. not! Like, like, like I say, you know, it, it's like through adversity we all grew stronger. You know what I mean? It's just like it, it didn't make sense, but to all of us who were involved, it made perfect sense. Oh yeah. The lawsuits that we got, a little tiny radio station getting sued. I remember getting sued by Rock 103.5 in Chicago. I'm going to tell that story with Steve Tuohy in a little while because walking in and having this legal paper in front of me, that that scared the shit out of me because I was thinking, boy, I know I'm an idiot. I know I'm doing everything wrong, but I'm having such a good time trying to build my career. But this is actually serious. And so uh, (laughs) that's kind of scared me a little bit. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. I so, thought you said it was all, all a good fun. So, so what, what else can we talk about? Well, I, you know, I, mean, I did have, I, I had a bunch of um, platinum albums and gold albums. The only one that oh, I yeah. kept, I gave a bunch away. I gave the 311 one away. I had 311's platinum album, and I had uh, Cake, the band Cake. <laughs> but, I, but I kept the uh, I still have the Seven Dust gold album uh, awarded to me oh yeah I, I like cake I would I would, I would um, 
I would just like Marielle was the music director and she'd be like, Hey, can we add seven dust? And I'm like, yeah, are they good? <laughs> Cause I didn't, I didn't listen to shit. I was like, yeah, whatever. I talk for four hours in the morning. Right. I don't know. Yeah. If you like them, put them on. And we played the shit out of this band. And subsequently I had a, uh, a gold record uh, attributed to me. So God bless seven dust. They're still out there, huh? They got, they got nominated. They got nominated for a Grammy a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, you know, we also did the, you know, the whole concert. If you remember right, them, it was seven dust and uh cold chamber. Oh. We did that, that place that now is like a, uh, it does banquet halls and all that. Yeah. All the, we did a show with 59. seven dust, seven dust, cold chamber and a bunch of local bands. And, one of the shows we did with Cold Chamber, Cold Chamber didn't have a hotel, so they were going to stay at my house in Plainfield, Illinois. Right. And Des, the singer, had his boots on my wife's white couch. And when she got home from work, she saw this Motley crew uh, in her living room and threw them out. And uh, boy, did I, I, I was I was embarrassed. What was I going to do? But he did oh, have yeah, he did have his Doc Martens on her white couch, you know. So you know. Well, you know, then he had his numerous piercings, which were quite huge. And I mean, you know, he was definitely a guy when you look at him. Oh nice yeah, guy, scary guy. Him in a dark alley, you didn't know who the hell he was. You get a yeah, scared crapless. Oh god, unbelievable. It was all fun. Unbelievable times. Well, we'll continue our adventure, Dave Bella. You know, I love you, brother. Love you too, bro. Take and care of yourself. thanks for taking part in the walk down Cat 1055 memory lane. Never a problem. Many stories to come. Well, we're doing a original Cat 1055 reunion, and it would be uh, it wouldn't be without Steve Tui here with us. Hi, Steve. Good morning. I'm so used to good morning. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Good morning. <laughs> Somehow. What? It was always good morning when it was you and I, but it's not. Yeah. Definitely good morning. Yeah. Just think about that. Doing what we did in the mid 90s on the radio, you and I are still in the industry. That's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny when I tell people, uh, I, I was just telling a story the other day about uh, how, I, I, I don't know, I want to say I was around 22 years old, and I said, uh, you know, uh, we were meeting with B96. We were meeting with uh, uh, WCKG. We were doing all these things. And, and then there was a point where I'm like, where, where did all that go? Where did, yeah. But, but we're still going. We're still so, doing uh, this thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Steve does mornings in Indiana. I do mornings in Illinois. And I remember, okay, so you and I, we get together, what, 96? We meet each other. Mm-hmm. And... I thought you were funny, and we both had the same likes in radio. We listened to The Loop, which was, you know, Stephen Gary, Jonathan Brandmeier, Danny Bonaduce, and uh, all the rest of them. And we wanted to do personality radio. We wanted to be comedians on the air and just have a ball. And we broke every rule there was. And so there's a couple of things I want to touch upon. First of all, it was you and I had this idea. We were going to become the next Smothers Brothers. We were going to be Cheech and Chong. We were going to be a, a dynamic duo of comedy. So we got an apartment together, and we would just work on jokes all day long. And that apartment was, <laughs> it was Section 8, because <laughs> neither one of us had any money. It was right. this, that apartment building in and of itself is a movie. Mm-hmm. 
So tell the yeah, story. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember the woman with the uh, cul-de-sac shaved into her head? Yes, of the people that lived downstairs. And we thought that it was because she had some kind of sickness or something. And then we realized the whole family had the same haircut. <laughs> so they had like, it was pre-mullet, but it was like a mullet where it was like long in the back. And it wasn't like business in the front. It was like a horseshoe in the front. Yeah, they shaved the top of their heads and then grew the rest of their hair long. They looked like Cookie the Clown on Bozo. Yep. It, so they were like a weird exactly cult, like. and they would. She would scream at her kids all the time. We would yell out the window from the third floor. Shut the fuck up! Quit oh. yelling at those kids. Yeah, there was there was her. There was uh, a cigarette guy who would come to the door at any time of the day and uh, and ask for cigarettes. Uh, and I remember one time it was it was well in the middle of the night. I don't even know what time, but when you just hear pom 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 pom, you know, and and. I answer the door, and he's like, I, I realize it's him. I go, oh, you got to be kidding me. And Mike, half asleep, laying on like a, 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 a futon mattress kind of. It wasn't even like a real futon. It was like just a mattress on the floor. And uh, Mike, you're like, no, bring him in here. I'm going to fucking kill him. Bring him in here. Just, just pull him in. And I tried to grab him, and he pulls back and fell down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> he flew over the banister because uh, uh, he would pound, but he mind, would sure. he would pound on the door all hours. Hey man, you guys got you guys Hey, you guys got five bucks. Hey, so it was like two in the morning, and I was crashed on a futon. And Steve opens the door, and exactly, I said, "Pull his ass in here." And his hand slipped out from yours, and he flew over the banister and down the stairs. Oh yeah, we yeah. thought we killed him. Oh, oh I mean, he he was so high, I didn't feel any of it. But uh, oh. yeah, there was that. There was, uh, uh, you know, uh, what was the uh, uh, the the guy got in a, a, a fight with his girlfriend in the like courtyard of the uh, the apartment building. Yes, there was a big lawn. In front, yeah, yeah, there was a big lawn in front of the uh, the building with a sidewalk, and this guy was fighting with his girlfriend, and we were monitoring it from our window. But then he started hitting her, so I we had to intervene, didn't we? We, you, we, you <laughs> shot him with an arrow, like it was like a a movie, like uh, I don't know, Bo and Luke Duke or something, just shooting out the window down there, went right through the guy's leg. Yeah, I remember that. I shot him in the leg, and then the police came and handed me back my arrow, and he mm-hmm. said, the next time, just call us. Oh, yep. Lord. What was wrong with... What was, was all that, the stuff that went on outside of the radio station. Yeah, we haven't even got inside the radio station yet. So what was wrong with me, really? I mean, in looking back, we've, we've known each other for almost 30 years. What, 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 I did a lot of wrong things. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there was a... Was a we, we... People have said, like, we were shock jocks, but we we had no... There was no rhyme or reason behind shock. It's just who we were. We just liked being funny. We wanted to get noticed being, you know, out in Coal City on the... Uh, we both grew up in Chicago. We wanted to get noticed outside of Chicago. I mean... Yeah. Uh, I, I just... I, I was telling the story about the first day we were on the air... And I don't even know if you remember, this is this is how uh, the partnership clicked. So Mike had brought me from, I was working uh, uh, at a radio station owned by a car dealer because he liked to hear his name a bunch of times. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I, I came out to work with, with Mike. He said, you're going to be my sports guy, and you'll do sales. And I said, great. 
So I said, but I need to make enough to, to move out there. That's how you and I got an apartment together. You said, well, I'll just move in with you. We'll figure out the bills somehow. So we did. So first day on the air, uh, Mike said, uh, so last night I went out to dinner, and uh, after dinner I proposed to my girlfriend. All right, here's Led Zeppelin. And I couldn't help myself. I go, whoa, <laughs> that's the story of how you proposed to your girlfriend? I remember that. I proposed. She said yes. I go, what, what happened? And you and I just started having a conversation. And, <laughs> and, and that next thing, I, I wasn't your sports guy. And we were just, you know, two guys hanging out on the radio for, you know, for the next uh, 15 years. Off. Yeah, just talking. And, and, and they would say, okay, here's the music to play for. Okay. And we wouldn't play any of it. We would talk for four or five hours. Yeah. And if you were a real friend, if you would have known me before, then you would have kept me from making that proposal. But that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were, yeah, because a lot of guys that we came up with, they were doing the route where you would go and work at WGN or WLS or the loop and get coffee for people and do an internship. And that's, you know, that, that was a valid way to get into radio, which was really difficult, but you and I, we were too driven by stuff that we were coming up with. So we wanted to do our own radio show. So we took the route of going out in the boondocks, this cinder block building in the middle of a cornfield and just trying to get our name out there. And, uh, we, you know, we were, you and I were written up all the time in, in the trade papers. Sure. The, the Sun Times, the trade papers, the, uh, national magazines. Yeah. Uh, for our, uh, uh, our, our, our famous, uh, campaign of, uh, uh, tomato and tui fart in your face, man cow. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, I mean, just, I mean, that's the shit we did. It was like yeah. 15 sometimes, you know, we, we had listeners. Calling, you know, man cow to say tomato until you fart in your face. Drove him out of his mind. Five area code. Drove him out of his mind. And here's the thing. I still have people. Now, that was 1996. I still have people today. They'll see me in a grocery store. They'll see me at a gas station. You'll say, hey, yeah. Tomato and Tui fart in your face. And they still remember that we had stickers. We had T-shirts. And because Mancow had come to town early 90s and he all of a sudden he was huge. And we were like, well, we're better than this hack. Let's let's drive him crazy. Not knowing that it's really was unprofessional. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, no, looking back now at, at 40 and are you 50 yet? 50. How old are you? How old are you? 40, 47. Yeah, I'm, I'm seven years older than you. I'm an old I'm, I'm going to be AARP next year. OK, so so in our 40s and 50s, looking back at at 20 and 30 year old Mike and Steve, we were a couple of assholes. Oh, yeah. Complete lunatics. I mean, we I mean, if if there were kids coming up doing to us what we were doing to other people, uh, you know, we, we'd, we'd think of them as unprofessional punks, jerks, whatever. But we and we weren't attempting to be that. We just were. I remember calling a place when you and I were looking for a gig at one time and the guy that answered was the program director. And I said to him, whoever you have doing mornings, we're better than him yeah. to hire us. That's how he started the conversation. He goes, well, it's me that does mornings. And I said, well, I'm sure we're better than you. <laughs> to the guy that's supposed to do the hiring. What, we, what kind of a jerk says that? We would call people all day trying to get out of this small, tiny town. And, okay, so one time we had done some bits, O.J. Simpson's uh 
cut your ass cutlery, which was getting rave reviews. <laughs> we had done a parodies of leave it to beaver and we would do these character pieces. And then we put together a demo tape and we got the, the interview with the agent down to <laughs> JB Ross, rest his soul. And, uh, we went into this giant black building. Do you remember the building was the, the bricks were black and it was very ominous. This place. Oh yeah. And we walk in and they're playing, they're playing our tape over the loudspeakers. And there was a gospel group waiting to get signed by the agency across from us, a family gospel group. And it was the most raunchy, rotten stuff. And, and we, you and I in these ill-fitted suits, we were, that, so- yes, we were in our, we were in our eighth, or I was in my eighth grade graduation suit. I mean, they just- and the receptions, did you remember the receptionist? Looked like Andrew Dice Clay on steroids, but unshowered for about a week. I mean, he was like, looked like he had just got done working out. He had cut off like metal shirts. I mean, this is just, yeah. I mean, over the loudspeaker, I remember you were doing an impression of Magic Johnson. Oh, specifically no. what I remember while this gospel group is just sitting, staring at us like, it is them doing a voice yeah funny funny stuff that's not us god bless god bless god bless and then he saw us and he said he wanted a dollar a phone call for everybody he called for us and we're like yeah we're this isn't gonna happen good lord steve the suits we had on i remember i had a sky blue suit on with stripes and this clip on die because neither one of us had nice clothes no, we didn't know. We had nothing. You we had that. You had. We were, we were in a, like you said, we were in a Section Eight apartment. With at the time, we had our, our producer Vicky, who also did overnights. We we didn't really get a producer. No, no radio stations were paying for producers right. in that market. She was the girl who did overnights, who stayed into the morning to help us produce the show, live with us in the little apartment. We're we're making spaghetti out of a pot. That that was rusted, and sometimes the rust went into our <laughs> into the spaghetti into sauce. Our, uh, We're eating rust. Went into <laughs> our, our ridiculous, like uh, the, the spaghetti rust, and, and it was just it was just oh the life that we were living. I mean. But it was a commune. It was like a commune. Everybody. That apartment we had was a party, was party central. (laughs) Well, that was the other thing. And, you know, not to sound like we were, you know, any kind of a big deal. Because we were, uh, we were really good at what we did. And we were, in in Chicago, we were known. But people would say, like, there's there's no way we could actually hire you to do what you're doing. I had a guy, after, after you and I were together the first time, I had a guy tell me, uh, I sent a, a demo tape to Ohio, and he said he loved it. It was hilarious. But he goes, if I hired you, they would burn crosses in front of the radio. Yeah, I can't yeah. Say, I, and I, I go, that's not always what I do. I'm not going to do Leave it to Beaver every time. I could, temper, I could temper my act, yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember having Greg Salk from The Loop, when I tried to get us hired there, say, as long as I'm in this industry, I will never hire you because I have had enough headaches in my life. That was, yep. that was a heartbreaker. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, we did some ridiculous, the, the fact that we've grown into uh, real broadcasters is kind of stunning with the, the shit that we pulled back then. Oh yeah. Although, although there were a bunch of times we'd be out and about and people would tell us the stuff that we did 
that you and I look at each other and go, our memories are not that bad. We never did that. Yeah, we ne- we, we couldn't have done that. That or this, these things that they would come up with that we did. But oh. uh, but what I was going to say is, is everybody at the radio station assumed that that our apartment was this wild, crazy, like something you would see out of Studio Fifty Four. Right. And and you and I were like. We got to keep this up because really all we do is we go home and sit in our underwear and watch cartoons and stuff. Like we're just—it's not that crazy. I mean, crazy shit happened outside of yeah. You and I were pretty like mellow people, but just weird stuff. Would I remember us driving down one thirteen in Cold City, and all of a sudden we turned to our right and there's a dead horse upside down in the gas station. <laughs> weird shit that we would. We were trying. We were trying to get into the driveway of the podunk little tiny cinder block station in the middle of a cornfield and uh, we 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 slowed down in steve's toyota and we looked at each other as if are we actually (laughs) is there actually a horse with his legs sticking up in the air blocking us to get in there was a dead horse on the road you don't see you don't see dead roadkill horses often oh but so many times people in the radio station are like, when am I going to get to go to the, the, your, your commune? When am I going to get to go to the apartment? Like, oh, you know, we've got to figure some things out. we got to see about stuff and go check on the thing. And then we leave. Yeah. Because we didn't really want, like, everybody there. We were a great group of people at the radio station, but there was times where we just wanted to be home. Yeah. And, and shut it all off. Uh, and then there was a the time we came home, and there's a, uh, an answering me machine message from uh, Gary Delabate, Howard Stern's uh, Howard producer. Stern's producer, yes. Yeah, yeah, wondering uh what what kind of dirt did we have on the man cow? <laughs> <laughs> we, we were like we're farting in his face is all we're doing. Yeah, we're we do dirt. We don't have anything. Can we have a job though? Can you get us a job? <laughs> That's what we hung up on him. We're like, well, if we, if we, because he's like, we want you to continue to harass him and say Howard Stern. Well, we're doing pretty good with the tomato and Tui fart in your face. So, uh, you know, what, what's in it for us? And he's like, well, pretty much, you know, they were going to send us T-shirts. Or something. Get the, you know, we're done. Yeah. But yeah, that was amazing. Okay, so Man Cow is going to be out at. Uh, he was going to be out at Belmoral Park Racetrack, and he he would do these stunts. Like that was a big thing in the late nineties. Disc jockeys doing stunts. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. Sure. So we had told people we had these stickers to Mono and Tui fart in your face, and Steve had a big giant oversized t-shirt that <laughs> that you stole from his table that had, had man cow uh tomato to fart in your face on, on his logo and he was now i don't know what the stunt was i think it was i have a fear of drowning so i'm going to spend 24 hours in a tank was that am i correct in that yeah because he was in a, he was submerged in a tank with scuba gear right yeah he was he was i don't even know if he had did he have scuba gear or was it like just a fake thing? I don't know. He's, he's supposed to be under underwater for like for, yeah, for maybe with scuba gear for 48 hours. Or yeah. yeah. And so he sees us come up and he flips out under watching him thrash underwater. Oh. <laughs> and they had the, the, the man cow mobile out there and listen yeah. to them dropping off boxes of, of cow crap to him. Yes. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was. Well, that was that's when you know I realized that maybe I don't belong in any professional situation because 
so we, we go to this thing. We broadcast from his remote broadcast, which, you know, we didn't know. That's against the law. That's interference of business. So, right. Again, we don't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah, we're just we're trying just to get kids. known. So a bunch of listeners follow us out to Belmoral Park. Now, you're talking 70 miles from where we were at. Caravan of listeners. Tamano and Tui fart in your face signs. We ruined this poor guy's remote, and they dump manure in his mobile unit, his cow unit or whatever it was called, the cow wagon. And you and I are at home over the weekend, and we're playing boxing on, uh, was it Sega Genesis? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And we got a phone call that there was a lawsuit against us. And uh, that was that was frightening to me because I, I was like, well, I know Steve and I can't pay for this. <laughs> right. I remember. But I also remember we were stunned and, and scared. And, and you know, the, the, the owner of the station back then. And he said, all right. Uh huh. Yeah. OK. You hang up. You unpause the game and you go back to box and I go, so what's going on? You're like, oh, we're getting sued from man cow. You're still playing. I got to knock him out. Knock well, because I had you up against the ropes, man. <laughs> oh, just, oh, yeah, we had, you know, we didn't really know what was going to go on. Like, we thought this was our way into Chicago. And in some ways, it was. We got known. We got meetings. It just never really uh, pushed past. No. Push past that. Like, they were just like, because I think we were so outlandish that. Yeah, it was like, too I much. I don't really know. Like, it's it's funny to for the idea of someone to sue somebody out in the middle of Coal City, Illinois. But it's a whole nother thing when you're talking about a lawsuit against a giant corporation in Chicago. Yeah. So they get a little, a little more nervous about that. But. So I had to write a letter of apology to get it dismissed. And, uh, I do remember that, yes. 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 Uh, who was the, the guy, Dave something? Dave somebody. He was bald. He was pretty cool. He was a pretty cool guy. Yeah, but... he was the PD then. He's like, he goes, would you just do this thing for the guy who this guy anymore? Because I called him and I said, Dave, if if this lawsuit goes through, I'm gonna, I'm never going to work in radio again. And me and my partner will be delivering pizzas. And he said, listen to me. I I understand. Just write this guy a letter because he's hot. He goes, he's trying to take phone calls. He's got, you know, he's got guests in the studio and he's answering the phone and people are saying, Tamano and Tui fart in your face. And Freak and Turd were our friends and they they would call us. <laughs> it was the funniest thing in the world watching him flip out when he would answer. Yeah, you're on the, you're on the, you're on the uh, Man Cow's Morning Madhouse. But yeah, Tamano and Tui fart in your face. <laughs> Oh, it was just, it was so, so out, out, outlandish. But I, I know you want the, the you know, the podcast to, to, to be about the, the, the cat in, in those days. And I got to tell you, the cat was the first time that I felt like I was working in race. It was, it was pretty uh, wild. I, I was, uh, before then, I had brokered some time. I worked at a small foreign language station. I worked at, at the radio station with the car dealer. This was the first time where I went somewhere. And it felt like WKRP on acid. I mean, it was, <laughs> WKRP you know, on acid is exactly what it was. <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, we were smoking in the offices, <laughs> drinking. I mean, it, oh, drinking! Uh, I remember uh, uh, midday uh, uh, girl uh, Marielle would would shout through the whole station. I'm playing the cowboy song. 
<laughs> playing the Cowboys Cowboy stuff. You played twice in a row, and people were dancing on their desks like go-go girls and salespeople dancing <laughs> on top of their desks and, and jumping off of giant speakers. And I was like, this is what I signed on. For. Yeah. This is what I thought radio was. This hey, you guys. Rock and roll radio. Hey, you guys. I'm playing the Cowboy song. Everybody stop what they're doing and just start dancing yep. to Thin Lizzy. I remember with the smoking in the studio, I used to, I used to yell at people. I used to say, you guys, if you're smoking here, do not put your cigarettes out on the floor. I used to right. yell at people all the time. Uh, Good was, Lord. What was, it was just insane. And you'll never yeah. capture that lightning in a bottle again. It, it can't nope. be, it can't be redone because we were so on fire inside. We wanted to be stars. We were, uh, we were a family, but it was insane. Um, I'm trying to get Lazar on, but uh, I called him earlier today. Lazar, who was a salesperson, but he says he said all the stories make him look bad, and I said that's not true. That's well, not true. I mean, listen here. One of the things that that we did to each other, I mean, was uh, uh, if somebody was on a sales call. Now back then, we all had to do sales. Everybody wore. Everybody sales. had to have sales. Yeah. Yeah. So while you're on a sales call. You had to keep your flow of your sales call while someone would flick your ear from behind. It's hardly possible trying to, to do that. One of my favorite Lazar phone calls was, was we're, we're hearing him, and I don't know what was going on on the other side of the conversation. We assume it was some kind of bad news. And Lazar says, hey, this is Lazar from, from uh, 105.5, the cat, W-Y-K-T, and, and oh, Oh, really? Oh. Well, we got a fantastic deal going on right now. If you want to talk about commercials, <laughs> didn't even phase them. No. That, that and uh, uh, Lazar uh, used to uh, play with a yo-yo. <laughs> the yo-yo he drove you out of your mind. Drove me out. He would, and he did it on purpose. The best of it, he would just he would put it in front of my face. He would mess so finally, one day, I forget what he was doing to annoy me. I grabbed his yo-yo off his desk, and I threw it out in the cornfield. And I don't know if I spoke. <laughs> and he was so distraught, he looked like a little kid who just, like, had a Christmas present thrown in the fire. He was like, oh, we're just having fun. Steve, oh, he, sp- he spent the whole what day. find it out there? He was in a and, suit and looking through a cornfield. I swear to God, I swear to God. I, it was probably like one or two cars ago. I found it in the glove compartment. I had been saving it, and I finally just went. I'm probably never going to steal a car again in my life. And I finally threw it away. Oh I no! For for fifteen twenty years. I mean, I, oh. I I went and found it that day, and I was sure I was going to give it to him. Yeah. And, uh, him in his suit. Him in his suit out there rifling through a cornfield. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that. I mean, the, like you said, we're never going to relive those days of, you know, we, just certain t- days we just couldn't take it anymore. And 11 o'clock in the morning, we're at a bar shooting pool. Shooting pool, yeah. Shooting pool, yeah. Just, just shoot, shoot and, pool and, you know, and, and, and really we thought we were taking on the world. You know, we, we couldn't we, understand yeah. why New York and L.A. wasn't like throwing million-dollar contracts at us. Because we, yeah. we were in the trades every week. Sure. But but I think the joke was on us because I think they were just laughing at how out of our fucking minds we were. Right, right. But radio was was a wild place then. That was how we, yeah. we thought we were going to get noticed. I mean, 
Yeah. I remember, I think the closest we got was they wanted us to, like, do some kind of weird thing for Frankie Hollywood Rodriguez or something. We, oh, my God. I forget what we were supposed to do. They were going to have us do this thing, and we were so sure, like, yeah, we don't really want to be a piece of something. We have a thing. Yeah. So, and and you know what? I mean, realistically, and you know, look at us now. You know, I mean, we we kept going with the way we wanted to go. Yeah. And, and we're still doing, you know, shows similar to 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 what we wanted to do. I mean, it's just the the forty seven and fifty something year old ways of doing it now. Okay? Yeah. We yeah. grew up some, so we just. The shows are a little different. Well, yeah, and we're we have families, and and, and I have you know I have responsibilities. I was out of my mind uh, back. I was out of my mind up until you know, and, and we're talking about the original cat, but we had tried numerous times to get something similar back on the air, and and it just it got so ugly the last uh, few years that you and I were together, and you know that's that's a, another story for another time, but it was definitely. Uh, when I walked out of the company that bought the cat, so this is, you know, we're talking 20 years later, I had gone through a period of reflection in my life uh, for a good year where I said, okay, this is how I've been doing this for, whoa, these 40 plus years. This is how I'm going to do it moving forward, you know, and and it was uh, it was strange. But go, going back to the original cat, it was it was all consuming. It's all we thought about, twenty four seven. Was it was doing the show, being as crazy as we could, and I had this weird thing because I couldn't control saying the f bomb or swearing on the air, and so I would try to convince the audience, which was quite large. I mean, it was five ten thousand people listening every morning for this five thousand watt cornfield station. I would try to convince them that they didn't hear what I said. And you thought that was the funniest thing. In the you would bust my balls. About my favorite thing was, was when there was no delay, you'd say, I think I caught it. You caught what? You just said, shut the fucking door. What, what did you catch? It, it's already out. There's, there's no delay. Like, no, I think I, I think I caught it. Yeah, I caught it in time. I don't, I don't think you did. No, but Steve, <laughs> I was the, trying the to give five that hit the ground already. Mike. I, I was trying to so. convince the audience that right. they didn't hear me say fuck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, Steve, I, I got. Uh, good thing I got there with the delay button. And there was right. no delay button. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because I was talking about the woman with the cul-de-sac had to bring it full circle. Uh, she, I, I would pound on her door and say, hey, you got to stop yelling at those kids, man. We got to get up at five in the morning. And she started swearing at me. She slammed the door. And I put my foot in the door. And I said, don't slam that fucking. Ooh, Steve, I, yep. oh, a good thing. Yeah. I hit the delay. Button. Right, right. I caught that. What's the day? Yeah. Yeah, there was uh there was a lot of strangeness that went down there. I remember a uh, 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 nighttime guy calling to, uh, to say that the owner, husband and wife, were fighting out in the uh, yes uh, the hallway, and and he couldn't get out of the studio because they were they were just they were just not physically fighting, but just going at it like just screaming and yelling at each other. About yeah, God knows what, and he was afraid to leave the studio. He said, "Well, shut the door." 
there's that. There was uh, a lock him out. The afternoon guy, or the afternoon girl rather. I remember Marielle arguing with uh, her boyfriend, and you taking the microphone and sticking it out the door of the studio to to put the argument on the air. Yeah, arguing with her boyfriend. You're like. This, this is better than anything we could do. And you stuck the microphone out the door so the audience could hear them fighting about whatever the relationship fight was about. Well, he was, this was a fan that became obsessed with her and he wanted, he still, you know, I talked to Marielle, he still sends her stuff like for Christmas and, and New Year, he's found out where she lives and she's in New York. I mean, you know, so she had just sent me a, uh, a text recently that he had sent her something in the mail and she said this will never end because this we're talking back in 1996 where yeah he showed up at the radio station to profess his love for her and you and i just ran the microphone out the out the studio and just let it run for an hour no commercials nothing just the two of them screaming at each other yeah there was that there was uh the Calls that used to come in from Joliet Prison for requests. Yes. We got a call from the Joliet Correctional yes. Center from Wilson Black Tablet. <laughs> yeah. Dave Bella brought that up because I used to tell these guys, <laughs> you can't, we, I can't be accepting all these phone calls from the prison. So when they ask you to say your name, just say your request and then I won't accept the call. And that was, that was brilliant. It worked out every day. It would be like, uh, this is the Joliet prison with a call from dude, play that cowboy song. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, it was, it was fun. It was fun. And it was, again, it'll never happen. Nothing like that. That was the wildest radio station in the entire country. There's no, the stories, the sex that went on in the, the the closet with all the binders and folders, the supply closet. Yeah. We had a girl that worked for us. She was a little wild and we would get these interns in and she would ask them if they had a girlfriend or if they were, if and one guy was getting married the next day and she would take them into the supply closet and just have her way with them while we were all going about our day. That was nice of her. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> that's, that's nice. I mean, because we're you know you're working in radio, you're not getting it a lot. So it's nice do that for no. You know, if you, you know, sure. The downside is you got to get coffee for somebody, but you're also you know going to get sex in the supply closet. So. True. God, God bless. I wanted to bring up uh, before we wrap up with our Cat 105.5 reunion uh, with Steve Tui, my partner for many years. We made radio magic. You know that, brother. Some of the times when you made me laugh so hard, I almost died. Uh, I was telling the story about coming home from a Cubs game, and I was I was walking to the Cubs game. I was wearing a <laughs> a gray blazer with a hot pink tie, and I got chased by skinheads. And you're listening to this story, and I'm telling it, and it's quite compelling. And I said I had to run down the street, and they were screaming out the out the window of a of a rotted out country squire. Boat, uh, station wagon die faggot we're going to kill you faggot and I said and I was running down the street with my flowing pink tie and Steve Tui's retort was yeah but looking back do you blame him <laughs> <laughs> and then we had Perlene 
later on in the when we were at the Rialto Square, we had moved the studio. We had got bought by a bigger station or by a bigger company and moved it to the Rialto Square Historic Theater storefront. I mean, you know, it was just it was awesome. So one day this giant is six five very large African-American woman staring at us. And I said, well, let's bring her in because I, 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 I don't know what else to do with her. And she remained with us for the rest of our uh, time there. Oh, she was so funny. She was such a beautiful she, human being. Phone calls and she, she didn't, I mean, we would say something, I mean, into her ear and she would just repeat it. Yeah. And it yeah. was just, I mean, all oh, the things that she said to people on the phone. Uh, I remember uh, Al Lewis, Grandpa Munster. He 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 was sure that she was uh, she was hot. He he would say the filthiest things to her. And, yeah. Uh, uh, he he had no idea who he was talking to. <laughs> no, but, uh, he he thought she was he thought she was a Grandpa Munster Lewis uh, groupie, and he wow. would he told her one day he wanted to come to Joliet and take a trip up her dirt road, and oh, and she used to call him she called him Grandpa Monster. Yeah. Oh, just uh, yeah. So I mean, you and I could do uh, three hours just on, on those shit that happened with with us over the years. Yeah, and, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, the original cat was like you said. It was it was something that you'll you'll never no. live again. But it's uh, that's why it's cool that you're doing this. This is uh, uh, it's, it's nice to look back on those uh, those memories, and it's and it's nice because I'm going to tell people to listen to this because I you know. You and I go off in our own directions, and we all do our own things, and we tell people these stories, and I'm positive they walk away going, nah, there's no fucking way that happened. There's no, there's way, no way, right. That, you know, and it, it, it did. It, it wasn't planned. It wasn't scripted. It was just the, the weird shit that happened. It just was. It was just, yeah. hey, it was, just, it was, it was outlandish and, and wonderful, you know, that, that we got to live that, and we all lived through it. And, and yeah. It was, uh, yeah. And it, it was just. Yeah, it was just a, a strange, strange time. It was magic. We had a band, Tomatosaurus, that used to play clubs. We would do song parodies and, and rock and roll and cover tunes. And some of the shows, that, that's for another show because that was... Uh, oh, the way the band was formed. The, uh, the uh, Ottawa Riverfest. Yeah. The radio station. Because they heard us talking about this band on the air that we didn't have. We were just <laughs> claiming the band was there when we did parody songs. And they called up and they... They were going to pay. I forget. I, ballpark. I'm going to say like fifteen hundred. Yeah, it was fifteen hundred. Like yeah, which was like that was a ton of money to us back then. Yeah, and and they said, uh, you know, do they have a band? So I remember uh, the sales guy Kevin comes in and to your office and says, "Hey, do you guys really have a band?" And you go, "Why?" Because like you were in the middle of something. You're like, "Why? Why do you want to know right now?" What? And, he said, because I got a guy on the phone that wants to book the band for $1,500 for Riverfest. He, goes, he said, yes, we have a band. We have a band. Yep. yep. And then he left the room. And then you look at me and you go, we got to get a band. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a month from then. We did one gig at a, at a bar in Manhattan just to rehearse. Yeah. And then, and then we went in front of Riverfest, like in, in Ottawa, there thousands of people. Yeah. And, you know, we did it. It was fine. But, uh, yeah, that's how the band was formed. And by the time we played, we had T-shirts. We had stuff to sell. Yes. We were a real band. As real as any other cover band. Why not? 
Yeah, well, we were, you know, you and I were, we were doing cottage industries too. We did the, our stand-up shows. I was recently talking to Scott Davison from Rebel Radio, and he said one of the greatest things he saw was you and I doing stand-up out in Plainfield. And that was kind of our the last time we did it together, our stand-up comedy jams, where we would invite comedians up and do these. Those shows would sell out, and we'd actually make some money on those. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, we just did whatever, because well, then we figured out that if we didn't do the band, there wasn't anything to lift. Yeah. Like, we were just like, if we just did stand-up, we could just show up and talk. That's, you don't have to lift any equipment. Right, we just show up and talk. That's kind of what we do at the radio station, but they're going to give us cash money? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we need that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. bless your heart, Steve, man. Everything going well? It is. It is. It's, it's going well, and... uh uh, I hope uh, things are going well for you, and it's just, uh, yeah, a lot of, a uh, lot of fun, a uh, lot of fun memories. Yeah, it was. Well, congratulations! You just re- got the uh, Indiana Broadcasters Award for best morning show. Yeah, last time I won that was with you. So it's, uh, I like to win one every decade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even submit. You and I used to win all the time. And uh, again, we would we would have a ball going down to Springfield for these and accept our awards and then uh, hang out with people who would tell us, ooh, I would never hire you guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the way it would go. Uh, good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, continued success, brother. I hope to see you soon for uh, lunch or something. We could reminisce some more. Sounds, sounds good. I, uh, I will talk to you soon. Steve Tui on our yearbook presentation of The Cat 105.5. All right, so we're talking about The Cat 105.5, legendary rock station, um, <laughs> beloved by thousands, legions of fans, <laughs> and the heart and soul was Marielle, who you actually called me and told me to come take the job. They were looking for a morning yeah. man and someone to run uh, the operations. And I got the job from Bob. Bob who, McKay, smooth, who, yeah. I don't even know how Bob got the job, but for a while in the very beginning, it was just me and Bob working for this drunk guy. Oh, yes. And he, 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 he was Yes, because it was, it was another station. It was WDND. That's where you, cause right. you called me and told me to come do afternoons there. Right. Yes, okay. So, and that guy was you, generally he was never there. No. And when he was there, he was in his office and in with the door locked, and it had no heat and it had no air conditioning. But I think he had an air conditioner in his office. Yeah. But when he left, we used to. <laughs> it had those ceiling tiles that were square and they moved. You know, yes. like they. So we would go through the ceiling tile on the outside, and then we would just jump through another ceiling tile. <laughs> into his office so we could get like the air conditioner but then we found like all these bottles of like alcohol which we also took and then we would unlock the door and then we would put it back at the (laughs) yeah oh yeah that was the guy that hired me i did afternoons for a month and then i walked in one day and there was no log with my name on and he said oh i i've I've promoted you to salesman And I was like, oh, okay, I'll be right back. And I got in my car and drove away. (laughs) Well, that guy, I was on the air, and I got a phone call asking for him. Yes. And I said he, you know, after he sold the radio station, I said he he sold the station. You know, it's a different station. Do you want to talk to the owners? And it was this woman, and she said, what do you mean he sold the station? I'm like, no, he sold it. She goes, when? I said, I don't know, like maybe five or six 
months ago, maybe <laughs> seven months ago. She's and she started crying, and I'm like, "What's wrong?" And she's like, "That's my husband." <laughs> A good relationship you got there, right? She goes, "I'm his wife." I'm like, "Oh God!" I go, "Well," she goes. He never told me, and plus he was having an affair, which he used to bring, I don't know how, Uh, I guess anyone could have an affair, but he used to bring that woman, he would meet her in the parking lot, you know, and I didn't want to tell the wife that he was having an affair, so I kept having to, so I would talk to her, and she's like hysterical crying, and then I'd be like, hold on a minute, I'm like, you know, and that was, you know, the latest from... You know, Michael Bolton, (laughs) you know, who's who's going to be at Ravinia this year, you know, like whatever. And then I'd get back on the phone and she's and she's like, he's going to take my son away. He's and I'm like, listen, no one's going to take your son away. He can't. He doesn't. He's threatening you, but he's never going to be able to do it. I said, the first thing you need to do is take your son and get a lawyer. I said, take your son and leave. She goes, I have nowhere to go. I said, go to a lawyer. They will find you a place. There's a lot of places that women can go in this kind of situation, you know, um, or just stay home and don't say anything. Never let him go anywhere alone with your son. I said, but get a lawyer immediately because half of the proceeds of this radio station are probably yours. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you're like, hold on a second. Here's the latest from heart. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And then I was like, wait just a second. I'm like, Oh my God! What a great new song that one it was. You yeah, know? that was the best of the Freddie Jones band. Like, like, you know, <laughs> we played I, anything. I, yeah, we played right. anything there. Then yeah. I would get back on the radio and be like, "Okay, listen." Like, so I, I'm looking through the phone book, you know, and I'm find I find her a lawyer, like who specializes in stuff like that. And there's like this shelter, and she's like, doesn't want to go to shelter. I said, one thing you cannot do is let him go anywhere with your son you know and i said you have every right to do that he cannot take your son it's against the law well so, said, so while you're doing a midday show you're right. counseling a woman whose whose husband owned the right. station but right. then sold it without her knowledge right like I, a long time ago yeah like and i think i think the people that we worked for when it was the cat that, that when when it became the rock station i think they bought her for like two hundred and fifty thousand. Right. And Which she was a nurse, this woman, so it was probably her money that went into the station. Sure. The yeah, because all he did was drink the guy that owned it previously. Right. So right. you you get this rock station going, and it's unlike any rock station in the country. I mean, really, you know, even though it was it's a bizarro world and the stories we're gonna tell are just from another planet, it really was respected in the industry, and that's all because of you. Well, it's all because the guy the people who bought it we're having a midlife crisis so they did three things they bought a convertible they adopted a baby from china and they bought a radio station yes so that's how they dealt with their midlife crisis yeah they didn't know anything about any of those things you know um so but we knew a lot about the radio so they left it in our hands and we decided that we were going to (laughs) make it we were going to learn with no training how to make a difference. So we asked a lot of questions and we started playing a lot of songs that nobody else was willing to play because they were in a bigger market. And so then we were able to barter our time because when what you have when you have a radio station is time. Mm-hmm. You have you have time. That's what your bargaining tool is, time. And they want their three minutes to go into your time. So, you know, we were able to parlay that into something that actually got a lot of respect because some of the bands that we played that nobody else played 
until we played them. Until we played them. Successful. Right? Marielle, I dust. still, I still have seven dust, which I'm staring at there as I'm doing this uh, podcast. I'm staring at the gold record on my wall from seven dust. Right. And I remember the day you said, Hey, I'm going to add this song by seven dust. I said, cool. And that, and that was all it took. And before we right. knew it, they were doing shows for us. And the people that were in the industry, both musicians and record company people, they loved us because they knew we were a throwback to a time when it really mattered what you were doing on right. the air and right. i we were I had, not a computer generated format. no we did not have a computer generated anything and if you wanted to deviate you know it was very, we had <laughs> one of my favorites is we we had an intern remember we hired we we, we, we hired, hired that girl yeah we hired that girl as an intern and she brought her boyfriend right and before long she stopped showing up but her boyfriend <laughs> yeah he kept coming, coming. We were, right so we were like fine so then when someone needed to fill in we were like well let's call bruce he doesn't actually work here but <laughs> bruce come fill in of, yes it, right but bruce would always fill in <laughs> i remember tell i remember having to say to bruce bruce i don't mind if you're drinking on the air but you gotta leave <laughs> but you gotta leave your gun in the car in the car i'll never forget that <laughs> Uh, these are actual conversations I have walking in at midnight after a remote broadcast or something. And okay, you guys are drinking in the studio. Can you put the gun? Can we get rid of the gun? Just put that in your trunk. Would you? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So it's like, we never hired Bruce, but he was always willing to film. He was just there. Yeah. And then some people were like, who is Bruce? And then we forgot to see. And to this day, I don't remember his girlfriend's name. I do. Like, it was Janet, but but yeah, oh, I, and because I, I, I was out of my mind, and I I, I had mentioned something about uh, you know because back then sexist comments were you know you just threw them around and it wasn't right. the same thing as it was today. And I, I mentioned something about her busting out of her shirt, and uh, oh. her, her dad heard it, and and so he made her quit. And I and I actually called and apologized. But Bruce didn't quit, which was the important. No, thing. Bruce was like, I need the medal. I need the medal. I have a chance to go. Right. This is he a, never this, made a cent. Yeah, what, but, but what job lets you do drugs and drink and do whatever you want? He was like, yeah. yeah. Right. And he didn't have to apply. He never got paid. Like, <laughs> he could just show up. <laughs> Craziness. I And that was the thing. Every day was a party. We were one big family. We knew that what we were doing was important. And, right. and that right. that the people that listened, they loved us. And, and so... When I tell people, I said, Marielle used to pick music solely on, is it a good record? And so yep. when you mentioned the Freddie Jones band, we played Freddie Jones, but we'd also be playing some death metal band, you know, Sepultura. Right. right. And the art form was, how can I make an hour's worth of music blend? I still have a letter written to me by John Mayer. Thanking really? us, thanking us for being the first station in the Midwest to add his whatever it was called, "Run Through the Halls" of my high school song, and I'm like, right. you know, I'm like, you know, that'll go on eBay if eventually if I ever <laughs> hard up for cash, but uh, it's framed now. But but that's the thing; it's the magic right. that we had there. It was very important that we did great radio, and and Steve Tui and I did the mornings, which we were talking about just how many rules we broke and how absolutely unprofessional we were, but we really cared about doing a fun, funny show for people. Right. You know? And so, yeah, the F bomb might've got dropped here and there. <laughs> yeah. We might've broken some FCC rules, but people were entertained. But we always had the, 
idea that no one was listening because our range was so was so small. It's so small, yes. The the only people that were listening were like between on a certain part of I fifty five. Yes. And uh, the Joliet inmates who used to yes. send us letters, and then yes. remember you did death rowetry. Yes, they would death rowetry. Yes, we'd get the letter like opened, like you know, three months later. <laughs> <laughs> death rowetry. I'll never forget that. Well, I did forget it. You just brought it up. But another thing was they would call and they would ask us to accept. The collect right. call and from Julia Prison. So right. I would t- I told him I said, "Listen, man, I can't be accepting all these charges because it was forty cents a pop." You know, right. I said. So when the operator asks you, and this is over the air, when the right. operator asks you to tell your name for me to identify who's calling, I don't care who you are. Just shout your request, and I'll not. I'll deny. I'll deny the charges, and then we're I all good. That. So yes, it'd be like. This is Cook County Correctional calling with her with a phone call from Dude, play something from Zeppelin. Yeah, will no, you accept we'll the like, call? Pantera, <laughs> Pantera <laughs> Cemetery Gates home. No. <laughs> <laughs> they would listen to us in the pr- So we were number one in the prison. And then we started this thing at night where you were getting because you were getting bombarded with like every metal label was sending stuff and we're like well let's be honest we can't really play this during the day let's do a thing at night and that's where Bruce came in where we're yeah, just- I was going to say that's where Bruce came in because that happened to be his uh a good time for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cradle of filth <laughs> From and all. To four in the morning. Yeah. So he would come in and play until four in the morning, and and so we, now we're giving spins to bands that weren't getting any airplay anywhere, and we're really right. getting recognized. We're getting written up in the trades. Album Network. You and I both did a column for them, and a you know a little yeah, blurb. And they actually asked me to do it like I wrote one letter yeah. and I always being a writer was what I wanted to do originally yeah. and so you know I wrote one letter and they were like I, I'm like I know it's too long and they go no 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 we'll, we'll publish the whole thing in like three different issues yes <laughs> like, yes and I remember them saying can you write a blurb every every issue and I said only if you allow me to drink before I do it <laughs> and I would sit in my house and drink and then just like try to be Hunter S. Thompson and we would get tickets and the cool thing was hey Mar let's go see this band hey Mar let's go see this and Mar would make a phone call and you and I you got us first row to Rush because we were both big Rush fans yeah that was great and we went to Rush and I kept turning around because all the other people from all the other radio stations were like four rows behind us and we were first row center it was fantastic What yep. a great time. That was at the Rosemont Horizon. Marielle gets us from Rick Sudikoff, I believe, was his name. Uh, yeah, that was. And then remember when Alex Lifeson like winked at me or something? Yes. And you had a heart attack. You kept saying, I love you. I love you. And he and so right. he, he would step off mic. And say, I love you, too, because he wasn't singing. He would be like, yeah, I right, love you, too. Right, you guys right, are right. awesome. Yeah. So, right. your yeah, your run-ins with fame are amazing because uh, – I, I always had to get up early, so if it was during the week, I couldn't go to concerts. And The Cure, when you met Robert Smith, tell us about that. Yeah. That was really great because um, we went to see The Cure, and we had, you know, there was a pre-party. And it's funny because it's always weird, those things, because you 
don't really know what to say. You mm-hmm. either say something really stupid like, oh, you changed my life, you know, and then yeah. you feel like an idiot, or you, like, stand there saying nothing, you know what I mean? And Robert Smith is not an especially social person, so um, I just went up to him and I said, hey, you know, um, he was like, um, he was like, yeah, what's going on? I go, how you doing? He goes, I just hate these things. He goes, I never know what to say to the people. You know, I said, well, is there anyone that you've ever met that you were like enamored of, you know? And he was thinking about it for a while. And he said, uh, David Bowie. I said, okay, so when you met David Bowie, you know, how did you feel? And he goes, I was like, oh my God, you know, I didn't know. I go, well, that's how these people are feeling. So if you just say a simple, even then I was like doing therapy to people. Yeah, you, know you should. I mean? I'm, like, I'm thinking you may be uh, <laughs> looking for another career here. In the... Right. I'm like, even if you just say a simple thing, it, just remember, it doesn't matter what you say. It's the matter that you just looked at them and took five seconds of your time to say it. And that will mean everything to them. And he was like, thanks. You know, yeah. and then another time I found myself at a situation where um, it was in a big like like backstage area um, and AC, it was a, a backstage ACDC <laughs> and ACDC was sitting at a table and me and my friend came over and we were like, oh, my God, you guys are like such the best, you know, and I started asking him, you know, is it really true that your sister like made your uniforms and everything? They're like, oh, yeah. And they started talking to us you know and we started talking and we were laughing and they invited us to sit down with them you know and we were like talking laughing and their record company guy was like come on you guys you, you guys have to go like do this fan thing and acdc was like can we just stay with these girls for like another like, <laughs> minute like, <laughs> like awesome. really can you just wait yeah i mean it was just it was fun. But you know what? You know? When you're real with people now, so when you and I, I'm flashing forward here because I want to get your Robert Plant story and I want to talk about when we went to see Sticks. But so, oh so Marielle, once again, is the music director, program director. She gets uh, tickets for everything. Everybody loves us. And, oh, these are the crazy people from the cat. Come on in. And this, you know, this rogue radio station broadcasting out in the middle of a cornfield. But you... Um, you took us to a couple of shows, but when you were talking about um, being real with people, I remember you and I went to New York for the big McGathy promotion, which was just, I mean, it was a magical time. And being in the basement of Electric Lady Electric Ladyland Studio, right? Yeah. Electric Ladyland. Yeah. And we did. Rob I'm- Zombie. Rob Zombie had his listening party. Do you remember that? For how Billy- I remember going to New Orleans. No, this was this was in New York, and it was uh, it was a McGathy Promotions bash, and I had said to, you know, it was a meet and greet, and Rob Zombie's just shaking everybody's hands, and to be honest with, other than what we played at the radio station, I didn't really know White Zombie or Rob Zombie, and uh-huh. and he comes up to me and he says, uh, "Yeah, how you doing? Thanks for playing our record." And I said, "Hey." I hear you're into Italian horror films and he grabs me by my shoulders and he says, you stand here, wait for me. And <laughs> and he goes down, he goes down the list and, let, and he goes, Hey, let's talk horror movies. And I just sat and we had like some weird vegan curry or something. And we talked about <laughs> Lucio Fulci and Dario Argento movies for the whole night. And he's like, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> like, that's, that's how awesome. you, yeah. 
you always you taught me so much about that stuff. Like you had guests that nobody knew who they were, but the people who did know who they were were like, "How the hell did you get that guest?" Yeah, you know, like George Romero, yes, and like Bruce Campbell, and like all these people. Like, and I would be like, "Who is like?" It? But you. It was amazing. The cult you know? favorites, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, um, yeah, well, King Diamond, who I used to have on all the time because I loved his right. music. And right. so here I am going through a divorce. This is, a, you know, it was a terrible time in my life. I have this giant house that I built with this woman. She moves out with all the furniture. So I have a, I have a, a couch and a mattress on the floor, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table, and I get a phone call and it's from Dallas, Texas. I'm like, who's this? I'm like, hello. Hey Mike, King diamond. How's it going, brother? I said, great. I said, you know, I, I said, I'm just sitting. He goes, I just wanted to thank you for the great interview. He goes, it was just amazing. It was probably the best interview I've done in a long time. And so we start chatting and in the middle of it, he goes, so what are you, what are you doing now? And I said, you know, I'm about halfway through a bottle of wild Turkey. My wife moved out. And then, and then, the conversation turns and we start talking about life and and right. how things happen for a reason and we can't get down right. and i'm like right. this is king this is you know satan's spawn <laughs> i'm on the i'm on the phone with and he was so sweet and so kind right. and i'm actually trying to get in touch with him to be on the podcast again because uh, right. he's just one of the nicest people i've ever met but it was always like that, you know, it was always right. like that. When they came to us, there was nothing we could be too impressed about because all of us were working for pennies and trying to make yeah, this thing I had work. The job that actually paid my rent was 50 miles away from the oh. cat. And I had to be there and start my shift an hour after I got off. Right. So I had to like run to my car like go through the inevitable construction on I-55 and barely make it. But if I didn't have that job, I wouldn't be able to have an apartment. Right. Like I'd be homeless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did what you had to do. And it was still, right. it was so important that we did the cat radio station. So you get yep. us tickets to sticks and it's a big show. And yeah, I'll, I'll never forget this because I'm a nice guy. And I'm like you. I like to be friends with everybody. But if you're if you're mean to me, I have a a rabid dog response. And so we're backstage, and all right. of the people had separate all the all the members had separate rooms and you know big suites. And they had different letters on their pet. Remember, everyone had a different like letter or number or something on their passes, and we didn't have anything that anybody else had. Right. We had like something that and i'm like okay i guess this means we're gonna park their car so <laughs> right, right our pass says null and void okay right exactly so then when we finally when they came in and they said everyone who has this on their pass go to the right everyone who has this go to the left and, you know and they didn't even and so then i said where are we supposed to go and they go oh you can go anywhere you want you can I'm go like, anywhere what? you want it was fantastic <laughs> you have like all access so we had all access so the first one we walk in tommy shaw he had already left he was not hanging and right. or, or was he there for a little bit but he was just saying hi I, and, and then yeah. we get to uh the bass player panazzo and his uh -huh. room is very dark and there's wine being served and uh <laughs> I said, man, you played the shit out of that bass. It was so good to watch. And he went and got me a rose 
And I was like, that's awesome. I'm, I'm carrying a rose around from this cat. So then, you know, we, we go to see Dennis DeYoung. He was wonderful. We sat and talked with him for a while in a giant, like, it was like a giant cattle call for his room. Right. And then the uh, JY, was that his name? Jay Young, James Young, or JY? Yeah. Uh huh. Now he did something. And again, I would never hold this against him, but he was with his family. And all I did was say hi to him. And I don't know if it was like a weird thing, like he wanted to show his family that, you know, he was a, a rock star or whatever. But he's like, dude, I'm a little busy. I'm trying to visit with family. Can you hold on? I go, oh, you and, right. you and I got shuffled out of that room. But I was like, all I did was wave, bro. I, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm just here for the, uh, for the, you know, the cold cuts and the uh, order. Right, exactly. It's funny. I ended up uh, later on, um, I ended up taking my children when they were young as in like three and five years old three and six years old i ended up taking them to a leonard skinnerd concert that was one of those small concerts Mm -hmm. that was on a stage that like turned around and we got there before the band and the catering table it was a small venue so the catering table was out outside in the hall (laughs) and i look over and my three-year-old is eating a brownie i'm like don't eat a brownie from the leonard skinner catering table you gotta watch backstage brownies my friend right that's funny yeah he like pretty much ate everything on their table you know And, and the lead singer had a johnny van zandt uh had a long conversation no it's johnny's the one who's still alive <laughs> i don't know jimmy johnny one of the the van zandt's no. the, the van zandt that's still breathing he had a he had a long conversation with uh my daughter about iCarly because he has like five daughters oh cool oh that's good that's good that is, yeah most of the most of them are, they're just they're just looking for someone to have a normal conversation with because they've been living in a bus with a bunch of smelly guys for the last you know 30 days or so right. so now tell right. your robert plant story because this is one of my all-time faves uh with your tattoo oh yeah he licked so, his hand this is one of my favorite stories yeah this was um so, because Mario was the the biggest Led Zeppelin fan, the first tattoo I ever got was from that guy named Shooter. Remember that idiot? Oh my <laughs> I mean, god! Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually didn't know how to tattoo at all, and he actually no, his name was I don't know what his name was, but he had the the bar next door to the tattoo place said that if he put the name of the bar on his forehead, they would give him free drinks for life. Yes. So he so he did. And the bar closed down like six months later. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think that one all the way through, did you, Shooter? <laughs> right. Right. Good Lord. Maybe the bar's name was Shooter. Anyway, um, the first tattoo I ever had, because all of my tattoos are very meaningful, um, was the swan song, you know? Right. And then I had the Zoso symbols put around my ankle, you know? And so then when Robert Plant and Jimmy Page went and did that tour, um, I went to like... I don't even know, like five or six of those shows in different cities. Um, and in Cleveland, I was able to get to somehow illegally get into the elevator and get up to the lounge, which you weren't supposed to be allowed to go into unless you were a guest at the hotel. Right, like, but you were Marielle special- Salas. You were a rock star. Yeah, but I didn't have that code. No, no. But I went to the I went to the lounge and uh, we're sitting there, you know, drinking me and my friend. And then 
Robert Platt walks in wearing like a soccer jersey and everything, and he sits down and everything. I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, what am I going to do? Like, there he is, you know. And we were there for an hour, and I was like, I have to do something. I can't just, you know, let this opportunity slip away. So finally, I went up to him, you know, because then people started coming up to him, and I was like, okay, he's going to leave, you know. So I went up to him and I said, "Hi, Robert Plant." <laughs> yeah, it was such a dumbass. I was like. Hi, Robert Plant. You know, I'm a really good fan, and, you know, I was wondering if you would sign my tattoo. And he's like a, a player, Robert Plant. Oh, you know? sure. I mean, he's been a rock star since he's been 19. Like, he's been, like, the top echelon. And he's like, where? And I showed him. I go, could you sign by your symbol? He's like, I have a bloody symbol. I'm like, um, hello, you're the circle with the feather in it. Yeah. He goes, oh, I guess I do. So he tried to, because first he signed on the side of my leg. And he's like, no, I go, no, not there, by your symbol. And that's when he said, I have a bloody symbol. I go, yeah, you're the circle with the feather in it. It's right here. So then he tried to sign there, and he's like, that's not going to work. And so he licked his fingers, and he wiped it off. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. There's some symbolism I go, there. I go, I need DNA, like, you know, you Leave that there, yeah. Now, like, I need DNA science now. I need to clone Robert Plant because I can. <laughs> um, so he signed it, like, five more times, and he kept licking his fingers and wiping it off. He's like, this is not going to work. I go, listen, sweetheart. I go, there's no other way I'm ever going to meet you in my lifetime. So it has to work. You have to make it happen. He goes, don't sweetheart me. I've been sweethearting people since before you were born. <laughs> I'm like, just, I'm like, just sign the tattoo. <laughs> so he goes, how about this? So he gets, of course, a linen cocktail napkin from the Ritz Carlton and he signs that he goes take it to the tattoo place and any decent tattoo artist will be able to get it onto where you want it yeah and I said thank you Robert Plant thank you so much thank you, you Robert know. Plant that's awesome right. I have you right. know a lot of my friends have Robert Plant stories I have a friend that worked in the uh, the grocer's market on Halstead and uh, Roosevelt and he said he's driving down Maxwell Street one day and he goes and he sees this guy in dreadlocks walking with Robert Plant <laughs> And he says, I pull my truck over. I'm like, Robert Plant? And he's like, yeah, who are you? And he says, oh, my God. He goes, could you sign something for me? He's like, sure. And Robert Plant opens the door to his blazer and gets in. And he's like, what do you want me to sign? And he signed like a, you know, like a receipt or something. Anything. And he says, and Robert Plant starts going through my tapes and he's going what are you listening to and he goes oh the cramps i love them and he's like I, right he said so robert plant says well have, have you know cheerio and he leaves and he's like and i'm just sitting there going robert plant just got in my truck another thing my friend mark who is just uh, he, he 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 works at the university of texas in austin uh-huh. mark tells this great story he's at a He's trying to get some decor for his house. And he's like, but the antique stores are so expensive. He says, I see this beautiful lamp in this antique store in Austin. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a gorgeous lamp. I could really, really see that in my living room. He's like, man, but it's 400 bucks. He says, I'm hemming and hawing. And I, I say, no, fuck it. I'm leaving. He goes, now, the air conditioning on my truck, on my car, rather, is is out. And as I get mm-hmm. into the parking lot, I notice that this guy angle parked a white escalade 
truck next to me and I can't get out. So I'm sitting there right. and I'm like, well, okay, I'm just going to sit here until it's okay. He goes, and 10 minutes later, Robert Plant comes out carrying the lamp, <laughs> carrying the lamp. And he's like, I'll be damned. Robert Plant bought my lamp. And he says, he says, and who's driving the Escalade? He goes, Robert Plant says, oh, I'm sorry to have you blocked in. And he's like, he goes, yeah, and you bought the lamp I wanted. Right, right. And he's like, but that's why when you're as cool as Robert Plant, you just kind of hang, man. There's not, you don't have to impress right. anybody. He just doesn't know any other way. Yeah. You know, he's just too he cool. Just walks around in his alternate universe, like thinking that it's normal. One of the best you know? concerts I've ever seen was in Minnesota with you. You and I once again attending some, uh, you know, radio convention. And we mm-hmm. went to, I don't know, a Prince. It was a Prince. Yeah, it was Prince's, uh, whatever the name of his bar was with the cult. Do you remember that? It was like 110 degrees in there. Oh, yeah. That was in. Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. Minneapolis. What did I say? Uh-huh. Yeah, Minneapolis. We were there for a radio convention. It was Prince's Nightclub, and we walked in to see the cult, and they they blew me. That's still one of the best concerts I've ever seen. They were on fire. Yeah, they were band. great. What a yeah, great they band. Were fantastic. Great band. Yeah. And that was when the Smashing Pumpkins played, and we went up on the roof to see them smashing pumpkins played and now at this point marielle had gone on where, where, where were you were you at serious or where, where were you working at that time i don't know <laughs> no i wasn't working at serious i was working somewhere else toledo or something were you in toledo yeah, um, so marielle and i so yeah because the crash the the, the the cat at this point had crashed and burned been bought by a new company and they were making us kind of an alternative station and i had this real straight lace guy keith who was the uh, the operations manager? But he was a great guy, and he really believed in my show. And uh-huh. he's like, "All right, we're going." And he used to talk like this: "We're going to Minneapolis for this thing." I said, "Okay." <laughs> so him and I flew to Minneapolis, and I said, "Well, we, there's a bunch of parties. You know, let's go to this party." And we went to a rooftop where the Smashing Pumpkins were playing, and there was a little bit of blow being done around at different tables and Keith is like no, I'm not staying I'm leaving <laughs> he goes oh, really? some record guy was talking to us and his nose kept bleeding and I kept going dude you gotta wipe your nose <laughs> Keith goes I'm going back to my room I'll wake you remember up remember Scott from Capricorn <laughs> Scott from Capricorn, who took us, he because he, he got tickets to the Q101 Jamboree, and my niece, my niece was twelve, okay, and so we're there, and Sugar Ray is playing, and my niece at the time, those those were the monkeys to her, those were the Beatles, and right. she's screaming at Mark McGrath or whatever his name is. And so Scott comes afterwards and says, "Do you guys like the show?" I said, "Oh, it was fantastic. Thanks for the tickets." He says. I said, could my daughter, could my daughter, could my, uh, could my niece meet Mark McGrath? And he's like, mm-hmm. he goes, I don't have any backstage passes. And I said, well, I said, she's got to meet this cat. So we mm-hmm. walk to the front and Scott says, Hey, I'm Scott Madden from Capricorn records. Can this girl meet, uh, Mark? And the guy says, yeah, go ahead. He lets Scott and my 12 year old niece in, but he doesn't let me in. Oh my God. So I have to watch Scott disappear. He disappeared into the catacombs of the Rosemont Horizon. I'm like, dear God in heaven, don't let anything happen. So she came out with a bunch of autographs. She's like, oh, everybody's really nice. I'm like, okay, you didn't smoke anything. You didn't didn't drink anything. Crazy. 
I, I remember that was a great Scott Madden was so great he would he would bring us when, when Government Mule played we were, out, we, right. we were we were like the only station at the time playing Government Mule and right. those guys would be on the show all the time and uh, and and again that the, the the infamous Dave Bella story is seeing seeing Government Mule one year at the Park <laughs> West I fall asleep with Scott, Scott Madden and I fall asleep in. The booth. You know how they had the booths in the back of the Park West, the the rounded booths? Yeah. I wake up an hour later, and Dave is still, because the backstage area is the dressing rooms are upstairs. Right. Dave is still talking to Warren Haynes. I get up there. There's a haze of weed smoke in the room, and, and Warren says, all right, brother, I got to go. I'm going to be late for the next city. Ha, ha, ha. And I said, Dave, you've been in here for two hours? So now. Now, flash forward a year later, and I know I've told this story, but it's so golden. A year later, how many people have Government Mule shaking hands with, met, radio, press, record, fans, thousands? A year later, they're playing at the Vic Theater, and there's a pre-party at Buddy Guys Legends. Dave and I go, and there's a meet and greet. Hi, you guys are awesome. Hey, we love you. Oh, we love the new album. Blah, 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 blah. And Warren Haynes mm-hmm. looks from across the room. He's got a tin of lasagna in his hand. <laughs> he walks up to Dave Bella and says, listen, brother, I don't want to talk about what gauge strings I use. I don't want to talk about amplifiers. I don't want to talk about microphones. I don't want to talk about songs. He goes, I want to eat this lasagna and go do my show. And Dave looked like a five-year-old kid who'd been chastised by Santa. I go, how the fuck did he remember you from a year ago? Unbelievable. And the bands used to, you remember bands used to, they used to circumvent their tours to come to see the cat. They would come see the cat. Yeah. It was remember amazing. that Cold Chamber show? The Cold Chamber show was when they came to my house in Plainfield and my my <laughs> wife at the time, my first wife, yelled at Des for having his Doc Martens on her white couch and threw <laughs> threw the whole fucking band out of my house and I had to I tried to go to work the next day and not say anything. <laughs> but everybody knew. It was brutal. Yeah, but they somebody I don't know why they made such a big deal out of it by setting up a roadblock in front of the venue and having a bus yeah. parked there to arrest people and take them to the police station. Yeah. So then the band was afraid to come out of the bus <laughs> because they were going to get arrested. Yeah. Yeah. So we could we didn't do the show. No. Because of that. I don't know and what that was all about. Anything. That was in Shorewood. Like, yeah. yeah, we didn't even do anything. No. We did nothing. Who knows? So I used to I used yeah. to I used to chastise Dez every time the Cold Chamber was in town. They would come into the studio, and he would like you would crack open a bottled water. He would light uh-huh. up a bowl of hash, and I'm like, could, could you right. not? Don't do that in the studio. I don't. I, you know, I was always and remember. I was the square. The owners used to occasionally pop by, so we used to have everybody duck so they wouldn't see anyone. Yes, like bands. Like we'd all be like Cold Chamber, okay? Be like everyone, get down, get down under the desk. Hide, the owners are here. Hide, hide, hide. because if you don't hide, it's going to be really bad. So you know, there's 
Lejean from Seven Dust going to hide under this computer. Yeah, the, this lead singer of Seven Dust. We're like, oh shit, the owners are here. <laughs> we're not supposed to be having parties in here. Hide in this. Hide in this supply closet. I know the supply. <laughs> hey, the supply closet smells like semen. That's only because we have a saleswoman here who bangs all the interns. But just hide in there until we tell you it's safe to come out. What? The, it was insane. And that guy that used to come all the time, the fan who said that Ronnie James Dio signed his basketball from Brown's Chicken. (laughs) (laughs) I remember we used to have a guy that used to follow us around that used to twirl sticks. No, it was Stickman. Stickman. Stickman, No, here's what happened. I'm actually a really kind of, I was, I'm not anymore, but I was really kind of shy. And uh, so when I had to do my first public appearance, I was kind of shy and I needed someone to go with me, you know, like, so this guy kept calling in. No, he kept coming in because he didn't have a phone. And he was he lived at the rest area on I-80, like um, not far from 55. And so he would come in and he would twirl sticks, you know. Yeah, that was his thing. That was his talent. Yeah. So I started calling him stick man. And I'm like, could you come to me to this bar? Like, like I got to go there and, like, you can, you know, twirl your sticks and everything. He's like, when is it? Like, he had a busy social calendar. Yeah, I'm right. Like, I think I'm twirling sticks that day. You, right. He would ride a bicycle or he would hitch a ride from a truck driver at the rest area. Um, yeah. But, Mar, let's think about this- how reckless you were. Hey, I need someone to chaperone my first appearance. Let me pick this guy that lives in a rest stop that twirls sticks <laughs> for a living. That's right. that's safe. Let me get him to take me. God bless him. Right. He was out of his but mind. But that's the thing. But he liked being stick man because then he started being recognized by people. How could you not like being stick man? He was famous. We would have him out of remotes. I know. That's why I brought him because I was like, come and see Stickman. And he would twirl his signs and everything. But then he started to get it over his head like he thought he should get, like, you know, compensated. No. I'm like, really go back to the rest area. Yeah. Hey, dude, Bruce doesn't get compensated and he works here every day. <laughs> and we don't even know who he is. We don't even know Bruce's last name. We know he carries a nine millimeter. Other than that, he's a bigger star than you and he ain't getting paid. Right, right. Good luck. I right. remember, okay, so the station has to make money. And so they decide they're going to broker out to this rap show at night. And I'm driving home from a remote brog. And I, I went in and there was like you know, all these gangbanger dudes and they're all in there. I'm like, guys, the, you guys all got to get out of here. I said, whoever's doing the show, do the show. And that's that. And then they, as I'm driving away, I hear them say, if anybody's out at that remote and you see Mike Tomato bust a cap in his ass and I'm like, <gasps> they're calling for my death on the, re- and I, you know, and Ernie, the, the owner, he was afraid of them. I said, you got to fire these fuckers. They're, they're calling for people to shoot me. Well, I'll, t- I'll talk to, well, I'll talk to them. Are you out of your fucking mind? What, uh, what do you fire them? Well, they're, pay- they're paying $50 a night to play rap music. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good Lord. Insane asylum that was. I know. It was insane. It was. We survived it. Was it was insane. I and then, know. But once you, once you moved and to we Toledo. we did it ourselves. We That's did it all ourselves, did yeah. It. We did it ourselves. We made something out of nothing. Yeah. Oh, we God. We really did. We made something out of the passion of little kids listening to the radio and seeing it as something that is important to their soul and wanting to pass it on 
I think you that's know? the only reason. That's the real reason to do anything, and, and we did it. And it's magical times, and you were, you know, and you and I have stayed friends ever since. I, I, I miss those days, but as I was talking before, you can't recapture something like that. It was an era that is long right. gone. But when people talk about wild radio stations, I see these things on behind the music, or you know, some of these documentaries, and they're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. WBCN in Boston, we, dude, you ain't got shit on us." And it, you know what? Even when I when I started working at Sirius Satellite Radio, the they opened it with the idea that they were going to be an alternative to terrestrial radio, and they were going to play songs um, that terrestrial radio wouldn't touch. Yeah, and they were going to be for people who loved music. And that went away well, quickly. Yeah, I worked there for three years. By the time I left. It was the same shit. It was like Van Halen on a 50-minute, you know, rotation. Oh, sure. With no, dis- with no discrepancy between um, solo David Lee Roth and solo Sammy Hagar. Yeah. It's like, a- and they're like, well, it tests well. Of course it tests well, because you're jamming it down these people's throats 8,000 times a minute. You know what I mean? Like, they've heard this song. They've heard this singer's voice five times today yeah like that's unacceptable like we didn't want that there was so much great music out there that we wanted people to be able to hear it yeah and you know, it, it was communal yourself, but at least be able to hear it yeah it was a communal experience listening to the cat and i still to this day and we're talking almost 30 years later i'll be out at the grocery store this was happened a couple months ago and someone will say mike tomato and i was like yeah Hey, Tomato and Tui, fart in your face. I'm like, that was our promotional campaign. <laughs> right. I, was like, I was like, how do you remember that? Or they'll call and say, hey, man, remember the graveyard shift? I'm like, yeah, I was there. Yeah. Because it was, it was great. It was real. And those are magic was, days that will never come back. Totally real. And yeah. we were totally real people. We weren't pretending to be someone who loved music so that we could make money. We were making three dollars an hour yes or in bruce's case nothing nothing um i think i bought him some 40 ounces but yeah <laughs> exactly yeah well you know and this like, was this was you know and you had to put we were so this is what we had to work with like you said you had to climb through the vents to get air conditioning you had to tell guests i mean poison is here and we have to tell them don't flush the toilet Janie, hey Janie Lane's here from Morant, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Hey, he's like, I'll be, I'll be right back. I gotta use the bathroom. Don't flush. That's how important this was. Anybody else would have said, "Could we board this fucking place up and get on with our lives?" Right. Yeah. I mean, the most valuable thing about that was the transmitter tower because he could rent it out to people who needed sure. a you know transmitter tower, and and us. Yeah, that we was didn't it. Even have a computer. We had to remember you had to beg him for a computer, <laughs> and he wouldn't buy the software to organize the songs. So we had to like bootleg it, like and have. I think it was Bruce who knew how to jerry rig it. So oh, that like yeah. the, so that the you know whatever the time the trial period would never end. Yeah. Like, so we. I mean, it was ridiculous. I still have software that Bruce gave me. <laughs> Bruce is probably working for, you know, uh, hackers somewhere I, making a yeah. billion dollars a year. Yeah. 
God bless him, Bruce. But yeah, and I remember the graveyard shift was anything goes. And I remember, you know, disc jockeys. And there's one who's no longer with us. There's a few people who are no longer with us. And bless their hearts. The uh, Michelle, who, who's no longer with us, who uh, she was out out of her mind. And uh, but the last time I talked to her, she threatened to kill me. A lot of people threatened to kill me. I, and then um, she threatened to kill me too. Yeah, First she thre- she she tried to sleep with me to get my job. And then when I turned her down on that. Then she went after me to kill me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if at first you don't succeed, but she, uh, <laughs> but yeah, she's no longer with us. And, uh, and, and Mike, who was a, a late night disc jockey, he, he's no longer with us, but he was, uh, amazing. Cause one day I'm driving home from a remote and I hear like this din coming over our signal. And I'm like, what? Okay, that's music. Well, that's music. There's two. Okay, there's two CDs play. Oh, that's a turn. There's three songs playing at once. One skipping. <laughs> and I walked in the studio, and he had passed out from drinking. And there were two 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 ta- or two uh, CD desks decks going at once, and a tur- and a turntable record just skipping. <laughs> so I woke him up. And I that's sent him. It. We played turntable. We yeah, we had turntables. Record. Yeah. We played yeah. them. We played reel to reel. We learned yes. how to splice it together. We did our production like manually. It's like that stuff doesn't even exist anymore. No, you know. Another intern that we had was Peter Adams, and uh, he's no longer with us either. And bless his heart. And I remember. I didn't know he was an intern. <laughs> he was an in, yeah. He was an intern, and then he became uh, my partner when when Steve was gone, and he. Peter was so brilliant and funny, but he was, he, boy, he loved to rock and roll. And I remember we did a, a week's worth of shows at a bar and then it culminated with head East, uh, performing at some bar in Bolingbrook. And I get a phone Uh, call at four in the morning and I'm like, hello. He's like, yeah, Mike. Yeah. Hey, Pete, Pete, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm in someplace in Wisconsin. I said, what are you talking? <laughs> he had gotten in the tour bus with Head East. Oh, God. And they just took him with them to their neck. They was like at some some casino in upper Wisconsin. I was like, well, how am I supposed to get you home, bro? We got a show to do tomorrow. And he's like, I, I, I'll figure out a way. And he did. He found out a way. Unbelievable. Right. There, there's so it's many like stories. When, oh, it's like when uh, we went to go see Fish and at the Rosemont Horizon and I got so fucked up I couldn't walk anymore and so I I sat down and I kept seeing Bob McKay walk by <laughs> and every time he was like walking around just to check on me yeah Bob was like, the afternoon guy program director right, and he's like you're not gonna make it to work tomorrow are you I'm like I don't even know how I'm gonna get home from the Rosemont <laughs> I, I don't know how I'm gonna get up from this curb yeah, right. too and funny. then when I went to New Orleans to that convention, which was really cool because uh, it was Cheap Trick and Seven Dust played on a like a, a boat, like one of those. Oh, excellent! Yeah, boat, the paddle boat. Yes. Um, and so it coincided with Mardi Gras, so I ended up calling in and being like, "I'm not coming back." Uh, tomorrow or the rest of the week because I'm staying at Mardi Gras. I'm staying at Mardi Gras. Have Vicky and fill Bob in for me. I always answer the phone and I'm like, I just, I'm staying at Mardi Gras. Like, I'll, I'll be back after Mardi Gras. <laughs> fantastic. So, yeah, you got to see Cheap Trick and Seven Dust on a riverboat. That's, that's, that's awesome. 
Yeah, that was cool. And those and shows know, I, that they put together from the record companies for those conventions were amazing. Like we saw Smashing Pumpkins on a rooftop of a building. It was fantastic. And I remember riding up in at, at, at Minneapolis when I remember riding up the elevator with the Spice Girls, but nobody knew who the Spice Girls were at the time because they were launching them. That's yeah. why they were there. I was probably hitting I on one of them. Like, like what the like. You know, like I'm obviously in the wrong place because I don't want to be in a place with people like this. You know what I mean? And so, so I finally find where I'm supposed to be, like the hard rock metal people. And it was like a room, like <laughs> it was like a room in the hotel in the back that was dark. And someone had mushrooms in capsule form. So all you had to do was like take it with a thing of water. Oh, God. Yeah, they, they, those were the those were the days when anything went. And, so uh, many things uh, like that. I mean, it was just so. I look you know, at those pictures I mean, from New York and Minneapolis. I'm like, I am drunk in every one of these pictures. My mouth hanging right. over, you know, unbelievable. Well, we could go on all day, but thank you because you were the heart and soul of the of the Cat 105.5, and you put that on your resume and. Uh, it's just amazing. Thank you for letting me be me. And thank you for supporting my ideas. And the greatest, not the greatest, but I think one of the best things about you is that you're such a positive person that you never, like, when presented with um, an idea, even no matter how stupid it is, you know, or you explore it you say let's think of the ways that this can happen yeah. you know and and they'll all sometimes there'll be like 25 ways that it's just going to be a total disaster and it's just a terrible idea but sometimes not and you you never you never shoot down people's dreams you always try to come up with a way that will will help them you oh. and you've always done that for me and it made me believe more in myself well and thank you thank you that's I, beautiful that's well, a that's just one of the things about you that you know makes me love you all the more you know and and you you married a beautiful fantastic woman your daughter is is just kind and and she's everything that you know you would want in a in a fellow human being and you oh. made that happen you and, and your wife and you know and I can't you know, thank you enough just for being who you are. No, well, I listen, you know how I feel about you. I always thought you're one of the most feeling deep people that I've ever met. You have a golden heart. You are one of the most fortright people I've ever met. You, you will tell it like it is, but your door is always open. And I've always felt that about you. So God bless. I miss you. I wish I can get back to, uh, to Brooklyn and see you because I uh, miss New York, my second home. I love it so much. But uh, no, maybe that's th good because it drives me crazy. Well, but I just realized recently that I kind of like it. I've been here since 2000. <laughs> well, the thing about New York is I'm good for five days. And then on the fifth day, I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. You see, the thing is that people don't don't see things there. Like, I'm constantly hysterically laughing because like and no one else everyone's so self-absorbed yes that people miss the greatest things ever yeah they're on their way to the next meeting that's the problem yeah 
great. Yeah. Like one time I was I was going somewhere and I had to cross a busy street, like somewhere in the Times Square area, like just one of those busy avenues. And I was waiting for the light because I always like to wait for the light because nobody else does because they're all wearing headphones and I'm not going to be and, and people drive like shit. So, right. you know, someone's going to, you know, um, this guy was wearing headphones. He walks in the middle of the street. He almost got hit by an arc. Like an arc, like that, like that Noah built for all the animals. Apparently, it was some tourist thing that you could go around New York City in an arc. So there's like 200 people on an arc, and it's turning the corner, right? And this guy is crossing the street. The arc has to slam on its brakes, and the guy who's like, you know, the host of the arc has a microphone of course and he's like what the fuck is wrong with you you asshole (laughs) that's new york right and it's totally crowded there's people everywhere and no one even notices everyone's on their cell phone i feel like i'm the only witness to this idiot in headphones getting hit by an arc and the amazing part of it you know how often do you have a police report that says he was run over by an arc yeah, right. just, it, you know the and weird who thing. Who doesn't see an arc coming? Yeah. Like who? What song was he listening to that yeah. was so how like, inv- amazing? Right. How involved in your Candy Crush are you? Are you that you get run over by Noah's arc? Right. I yeah. Mean, it's not like you see it out of your peripheral vision. It's an arc. It's the size of fucking Rhode Island. <laughs> you don't lose an arc in your blind spot. Yeah. Right. You right. know, and it's funny. The last time I was in New York, I was walking through uh, Manhattan and a guy comes up to my daughter and just like engulfs her in a giant bubble, a soap bubble. And we walked and she broke through the bubble. And I said, do, do, are we aware of what just happened? <laughs> Right. <laughs> just this guy had a big thing, like these big circular wands and a uh-huh. big bucket of soap. And, you know, he saw my little daughter walking and he's like, Oh, watch this. And he like So I went back, right. I gave him five bucks. I'm like, that was awesome. I got to watch my daughter walk in a bubble, like a science fiction right. novel. It was fantastic. And everyone just like goes on their merry way. They go on their merry way. Yeah, New York's gotta oh, wake my- up to how cool they got. The but the they I just I it's beyond I mean, it's beyond anything I've ever seen. And I hope that the rest of the world is more um, empathetic and aware. Yeah. But somehow, from what I read, I don't think it is. <laughs> no, people are, people are pretty much, it, it's, their brains are shot. Uh, you know, I've given up on the mankind. Themselves anymore. And hey. that's why you can't have radio like we had anymore. No. We didn't do it for ourselves. We did it for ourselves and for other people because we loved it yeah there was passion we wanted other people to and we know how important it is sometimes when you hear a song and you're really down or you're really contemplating you know your next move or whatever and it just it it takes you it, it makes it better you know amen and we wanted to give that to people we wanted to give that back yeah yeah amen well I love you Wow, there's some stories that were told there, huh? I hope you enjoyed our Cat 105.5 reunion. (laughs) There's a few more colleagues from that era that I'm tracking down for a possible part two, part three, part four, who knows? 
Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends. I wish you and yours peace, love, and light. 